hear more about that later on uh, during the service. Uh, I know this is a time for Sunday school, and um, let's spend some time looking at God's Word. I would like to ask you to please uh, open your Bibles in First uh, Peter chapter 2. And we're just going to meditate on one verse of Scripture. It's a well-known verse, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'll read it, then uh, I'll lead in prayer, and we'll look at it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning and for allowing us to be uh, gathering at this uh, church building, and thank you for your blessings on this church. Thank you for the freedom that we have to meet. Thank you for all the resources you have given us so that we can come this morning and gather as a church. Thank you for uh, your word that we have it uh, in our language. Thank you so much for uh, Jesus Christ who gave his life, Lord, and, and sacrificed on the, on the cross for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us and confronts us and exhorts us. Thank you so much for who you are and for everything you have done for us. I want to ask you that you will help us this morning as we study your word, that you will give me clarity of mind and of uh, word, and that you will be, uh, Lord, working in the hearts of the people. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, there is a concept, uh, and this is Sunday school, so uh, we'll make it more like a study, but like there's a concept in uh, theology and in churches that we don't study as often. Um, in theology, they call it the Mission Day. Uh, that's the mission of God. And, and that is a theological concept that a lot of times we as believers, we don't quite understand. Uh, I do believe that sometimes missions, not just in America, but also in foreign countries, it's become something that uh, we do mainly because we see the poor and the needy, but not because we really understand that we need to invest in the mission of God. You know, as, as you look at a scripture, if you go to the book of Genesis... And uh, you start looking why God created us, uh, why he created mankind. He created mankind for his glory. And, and then we see, we get to chapter 3, and we see that men sinned. Chapter 3, verse 9, God will pursue man, and he will ask the question. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 9, I'll read it because I don't want to mess it up uh, and say it wrongly. But chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam, Adam and said unto him, where art thou? He asked the question, where art thou? And uh, I always wonder why he asked that question. You know, I mean, he knows everything. So why is he asking, where art thou? And I believe it's because God is the first missionary. A lot of times we think that Paul is the first missionary. A lot of times we think that uh, Jesus is the first missionary because he came into the world. But I think that God is here giving us an example of what a missionary is. He went and, and pursued men. And he asked that question so that men could repent, look at his condition, and come back to him. This is the most important question in the Bible. Uh, if God would have not asked that question, men would have not come to him. Men would have kept trying to hide from him. So, so God, then, he pursues men, and he has a plan for all of mankind. You get to Genesis 12, and uh, we, we look at a scripture, and we are not plan B, uh, wearing God's uh, plan in the first and original plan. You look at Genesis chapter 12, the, the covenant that he made with Abraham, 
in, uh, in verse number three, I believe it is, is that all nations will be blessed. You know, sometimes we think that, oh, man, uh, we're plan B. You know, Israel messed it up and now God gives a chance. And it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Uh, we are part of God's original plan. And then uh, you go through scripture and, and you're going to see that Israel is going to fail. It's going to fail uh, in fulfilling what God had commanded them to do. Uh, then we get to the New Testament and Jesus comes. Uh, uh, John the Baptist is going to announce and he's going to uh, say the kingdom of God uh, is near. Uh, but the people will reject the king. People are going to reject the king, the, the king. And then the church established and we get to the book of Acts. And the church established and uh, we are told to go and proclaim God's word in the world. And, uh, and as we are doing that, we need to remember what was the original plan. When God created mankind, it was his glory. Uh, sometimes people will, will say to me, um, when we go do evangelism with the church in Peru, and we, when we uh, sometimes teach this at different Bible conferences in Peru, uh, why do we go and share the gospel with the lost? And let, let me, let me uh, I'll develop this more lately, uh, later, but we don't do it primarily because there's lost people in the world. And that might be a little shocking because a lot of times we hear, you know, let's go because there's lost people in the world. But, but as I see scripture and I understand the concept of the mission of God, I do not share the gospel with the lost because they are lost primarily. That's not my primary reason. I share the gospel with the lost because that brings glory to God. Now, just think about that for a little bit. Because I believe that our ministries, our churches... Our mission endeavors need to be focused not on the needy, not on the lost, but on God's glory. And that will change the way we look at missions. That will change the way a church will focus on missions. Uh, and it's not about supporting the, the, the ministries that are uh, in need. It's about investing for God's glory. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 <coughs> will help us to get engaged with the mission of God, because this verse reminds us of who we are. And it is so important for us to remember who we are and what is our purpose and why are we here. Verse number nine, it says, but you are a chosen generation. So we're going to look at four, four basic truths of who we are as believers. We're a chosen generation. You know, that's a word that now some people don't like to use, chosen, and they are afraid of that word sometimes. Because of all the uh, Calvinistic and different topics that are being developed and discussed, uh, but don't be afraid of the world uh, of the word uh, chosen. You know, it's a word that is in the Scripture. Uh, God is sovereign, yes. We're responsible, yes. Uh, and we don't need to take that to any extreme. Uh, and, and the Bible teaches us that we're a chosen generation. Well, what that? What is the meaning of that? Uh, the the meaning of that is that you have a purpose. Chosen generation, the meaning of that, of that is that you have a purpose. You've been chosen. If you've been chosen, it's because you have a purpose. Uh, forget about the, the, all the background that comes with that in theology and people want to force uh, that to mean something. Uh, it just means that you have a purpose. You're a chosen generation. Now, don't get confused and don't think that we are Israel. Uh, I, I say that quite often now in, in a lot of the messages. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. The church has not replaced Israel. Uh, and it is very, very important for you to understand that and to know that. Uh, young people, 
uh, you're going to be bombarded with thoughts uh, and with teachings that will say that we are uh, Israel or that we have replaced Israel, and that is not biblical sound. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. We're a chosen generation, though. That means that we have a purpose. So if you're going to put a frame on the wall, you're going to get your tools. What tools are you going to get? Now, you can interact with me a little bit, so I don't have to be speaking in English all the time. Okay, it's all hammer and some nails. Okay, if you're going to sweep the floor, you're going to get a broom. If you're going to vacuum the floor, you're going to get a vacuum. Uh, some of us are like, what? Am I going to use that? Yeah, yeah, you will use that, okay? Uh, and uh, it, Because you're going to get the tool that you need for the task that you want to accomplish. When the Bible says that we're a chosen generation, it, it's saying, it's telling us that, that God has sovereignly chosen us for a purpose. The focus is that you have a purpose. And a lot of times I believe that believers don't understand their purpose. And, and they are lost because they don't have a purpose. And we attend church and we can sing the hymns and we can uh, pray and we can listen to the Bible messages and we can get all that. But if we don't have a purpose and we don't get our purpose, our purpose is connected with the mission of God back in Genesis. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. In every aspect of our lives. In missions, when we think about missions, missions is the human effort that we do to get in line with the mission of God. Because let me tell you, I think there is a lot of missions that are being done that are not engaged or not in line with the mission of God. Because they are not focused on God's glory, but they are being anthropocentric, focused on men. And they are focusing on, on the needy and on men and not on God. Church, we need to focus on God's glory. We're a chosen generation. We're a chosen generation because we need to bring glory to God and we have a purpose. Don't get, don't, don't get sidetracked with the world. The world is going to one-on-one for you to get confused, to get so engaged with things in the world that you're going to forget your purpose. You're going to think so much about things of the world, materialism, culture, uh, will want to distract you. Different things of the world are going to want to pull you aside from your purpose. Remember what is your purpose to bring glory to God. In this verse of scripture, you will see that one of the main ways, if not the main one, how we bring glory to God is by sharing the gospel with the lost. And I see people and I talk to Christians quite often and they will tell me, hey, you know what, uh, Giorgio, I'm I'm involved in several ministries of the church. Like, uh, you know, I I lead singing, uh, I, I play the piano. Uh, I help with a Sunday school for kids. And you can be involved in, in lots of ministries in the local church. And that is not an excuse for you to say that you will not be involved in sharing the gospel with the lost. At the church in Lima, for somebody to be involved in a ministry, they have to be involved in evangelism. And they will not be involved. We, we will tell them, hey, you can't be involved in uh, teaching Sunday school. You can't be involved in in, in even playing the piano, you can't be involved even in the ministry of like cleaning the church because we have to set it up every Sunday. It takes us about two hours to set up church because we don't have a building. Um, they can't be involved in that if they are not involved in evangelism. Because I don't want them to think, we don't want them to think that they can be involved serving God and then make of this a religion and they forget their basic purpose, which is to bring glory to God. And scripture tells us that one of the main ways, if not the basic way to do so, is by sharing the gospel. But a lot of time we forget that. And I will even dare say that sometimes church programs, the church agenda, the church strategy, the church ministries will distract us from our main purpose. And we can be so focused 
on being the ideal church and what a church is supposed to be according to the standards of our culture and our age that we get so sidetracked from the basic purpose that we have, which is to share the gospel with the lost. Church programs, agenda, strategy, sometimes they can distract us when we're not focused on God's glory. Don't get your eyes away from the fields. You know, as, as you read Matthew 9, 38, um, the word of God, any of you know it by memory? I know it in Spanish by uh, memory. Do any of you know it by memory? It's a Sunday school. Matthew 9, 38. No? Okay, let's look at it together. So I don't know. Butcher the text. This is the thing about preaching in English. I have to like go and look at the text because I don't know it uh, with memory anymore. Matthew 9.38. It says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, this is one of the basic commands that God leaves for his disciples. And I honestly believe, I'm not, I'm not speaking because of Trinity or anything like that. I'm, I honestly believe that in America, lots of churches are not obeying God with this basic command to just pray that the Lord will send laborers to the harvest. You know, we pray for our church programs. We pray for uh, our Sunday schools. We pray for our leadership. We pray for our different ministries. But we don't pray that God will send laborers to the harvest. And you know why that is? It's because we don't have our eyes on the harvest. Because we're, look, we're not looking at the fields. We know there is need around the world, but we're so sidetracked sometimes with different things that we're not looking really to God and to the fields, so we're not praying for it. I looked it up this morning. I wanted to get the exact number. There is 7.9 billion people in the world today, approximately, according to Joshua Project. 3.34 billion People, I shared this on Friday with RU. 3.34 billion people in the world have not heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Now think about that. And we don't want to share the gospel. We're so engaged with material things of this world. We're so engaged with different things, even ministries. And we're not sharing the gospel with the lost. We're not even praying for people to go and share the gospel with the lost. 3.34 billion people have not heard the gospel. And I believe not just the church in America, but church all around the world is responsible for praying for this and doing something about it. So the Bible says that we're a chosen generation. We're a chosen generation. Believe that. Remember, you have a purpose. A lot of times, young people will say, well, what's, what's my purpose? Well, what am I here for? Right? You know, what's, what's God's purpose for my life? Well, here it is. There's one. Okay, God's purpose for your life is for you to bring glory to him and to share the gospel with the lost. And young men, young lady, you can do it. Don't be afraid of doing it. You can do it. You can do it. And start going with someone. Parents, take your kids. Go with them. Bring tracks. Get some tracks from, from, from outside. And then when you go to the store, bring some and give them to people. When you go to a restaurant, leave a track. Teach your kids. Let them see what it is about. Show them. Show them. They're going to do it, but you need to do it. You need to show them. You need to teach them. I love taking our church on mission trips. We go on two mission trips a year. And, uh, and every time, it's about 30, 25 to 35 people that will come on, on the mission trip. And when we go, there's always people that are like first time going on their mission trip. And uh, when we go on mission trips, our mission trips are mainly, mainly like um, 
to do evangelism. And we'll do three hours of evangelism in the morning, three hours of evangelism in the afternoon, and church services in the evening. And, uh, and we go, and uh, when they get there, you know, there's some church members, some new church members. And I'm like, hey, you know what? We're going to go. We're going to do evangelism, groups of three, and everybody's going to share. Everybody, you're going to take turns, but everybody's going to share the gospel. And I see their faces. Some of them are scared. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. And I had people come and tell me, Pastor, I'm here to, to see. I, I want to learn how, how it's done. I was like, good. You're going to learn by doing it. Uh, and they get so scared. And I have, I have teenagers there that, you know, when they go on the mission trip, you know how teenagers walk sometimes. They're all cool. <laughs> you, know, you know how they walk. And then when I tell them, hey, you're up. They're all like scared and they're shaking. And, and, and I'm, sometimes I'm standing next to them. I'm like, oh, go ahead. And they, they don't know what to say. And that's Monday, usually, of our mission trip. They're all scared. And you know what happens by Friday? They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the gospel with everybody that comes their way. I have to tell them, hey, come on, let's go. We got to go. It's just, we'll do that later. And they keep sharing the gospel. They won't stop. And then we get, back to, we get back to Lima. We get back to the church. And you know what happens a week later? Hey, pastor, can I serve at the church? Is there a ministry where I can get engaged or serve? Because they have seen what God can do through them. You know, church people, you, you have to get engaged. You have to get involved. You have to do it. But it's not just about getting involved in church ministries. Get out there. Share the gospel. See what God can do through you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. And He's great. And He's going to do a marvelous work in your life. And through you, if you let Him. And then you can get engaged in church ministries. So we're a chosen generation. And then the text says, verse number 9, it says, we're a royal priesthood. Oh, wow, time's flying by. We're a royal priesthood. And um, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, uh, priesthood, uh, the priest, what was their main responsibility? Help me out. What was their main responsibility of the priests? That's right. Intercede. They were supposed to intercede uh, for the people. They were supposed to bring the people before the Lord. You know, God established a system in which the, he, could not, he could not have fellowship with the people because they are sinful people. So the book of Leviticus let me tell you, if you want to study God's holiness, study the book of Leviticus. It's the best book of the Bible to study God's holiness. Because God's building bridges for sinful people to have access to him. Okay, and he teaches about holiness. You know, you read Leviticus and you read all these things, and you're like, I don't understand anything. Well, it's God's holiness. Okay, uh, so I will, I will honestly encourage you to study it. And in the book of Leviticus, God establishes the, establishes the priesthood. And the priesthood is established. And they were supposed to intercede for uh, bringing God's people before God. That was their main responsibility. The prophet will bring God's message to the people. The priest will bring the people before God. And this is what happens. When we think about that, you need to understand that they had a huge responsibility. They had a huge privilege to come before the Lord. But they had a huge responsibility, which was to intercede for the people. They were supposed to intercede with the, for the people. Now, the text says we're a royal priesthood. Royal, you're part of God's family. You're part of the family of the king. 
You believe that? Oh man, that, that's, that's, that's great news. We're part of the king's family. When you think about that, I don't want to spend too much time on that because time's flying by, but like, remember that the king came. And remember the king is coming back. Remember how the king lived in this world. Because we're supposed to live like him. Remember that he was rejected when he was here. And if you're part of his family, you're supposed to be rejected. And he told that to the people. He told that to his disciples. You will be rejected because if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. But you know what? I believe there is a lot of Christians that have not experienced what it is to be rejected. And if you have not experienced what it is to be rejected, it's because you are not living as part of the king's family. Because you, when you live as part of the king's family, you will be rejected. Have you experienced rejection? I hope you have. Because that will give testimony that you're living as part of the king's family. So the king came, the king's coming back. Remember that. But let's focus on priesthood. Where to intercede for the people. Do you know that in the Old Testament, the priest was not able to offer a sacrifice for himself? But he had to go to another priest. In the book of Luke, when um, Zechariah is offering sacrifices and he gets an answer to his prayer, what was he praying for? He was not praying for a son, for himself. Look at the context. It can't be because the priest could not request for himself. He was asking for God to come. And And God answers his prayer. He was asking for the Messiah to come. And God answers his prayer and tells him, hey, you're going to have a child. The one that is going to prepare the way for the king, the Messiah. But a lot of times now, think about how are your prayers? How are my prayers? We are royal priesthood. That means we have the privilege to come into God's chambers whenever we want to. And ask of him whatever we want to, according to his will. But we're supposed to intercede for Others. Now, think about how your prayers and my prayers are today. Think about how Christians pray today. Everything is like, God, God, help me. Protect me. Bless me. Guide me. Help me. Everything is focused on the I. And we're not praying for others. When was the last time church people or church family... That you pray for others. Sometimes there's believers in churches. They don't don't even pray for other believers within the church. When was the last time that you pray for the world outside? Countries like Yemen. 8 million people. There's more Christians in this room than in the whole country of Yemen. When was the last time you pray for them? That God will send someone. You see, I think, that, I think that we really need to do something about this in our churches. Because I think that as the years go by, more and more the church get in sidetracked from the mission of God. To bring glory to Him. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priest who we're supposed to pray and intercede for others. I will encourage you to make a list and pray for others. Uh, you want to have some, some, some numbers in some countries to pray for? Joshua Project. Look it up online. Joshua Project, look it up online. It's, it's a website you can have there. Statistics, different people groups, different countries that are like uh, where they are suffering persecution, countries that are unreached, 
uh, and you can pray. Pray for others because God has given you a glorious and in, in, in a blessed position of being a royal priesthood, but not for your glory, for his glory. So intercede for others. Um, verse number nine continues saying, you are a holy nation. You're a holy nation. And um, quite often I've heard that holiness is described as being uh, set apart. And that is, that is a correct definition of holiness, of something holy, something that's set apart. But you need to understand that in a context. Holiness is being set apart from the world, consecrated to, to God. But this is the part that sometimes I don't hear people teaching, to live in the world. Now think about that for a minute. The greatest example of holiness, if you look at scripture, is the Lord Jesus Christ. In action, I'm talking about in action, not in position, in action, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? When the Bible calls us to be holy, it's not just calling us to be separated from the world. Sometimes in Christianity, we want to be separated from the world and we want to get so far away that we're not anymore living in the world. Holiness, holiness is not measured by the things you don't do. Holiness is measured by how you live in the world portraying Christ. So it's not about the things you don't do. It's about the things you do in the world. Young people, you need to learn that. You need to learn that. Sometimes we want to we tell uh, people that it's about not doing things. Oh, how are you holy? Oh, holiness is measured by the things you don't do. So we have young people that are so scared of not doing something. We have so many young people in our churches that are living in hypocrisy. With their parents, with the church. By themselves or with a group of friends, listening to things that they shouldn't be listening to, watching things they shouldn't be watching, because they've been told that, no, 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 that's, that's, really, that's from the world. And yes, you have to be separated from the sinful practice of the world, but teach them that they have to engage with the world and show Christ. Because the people around them, the people around them is not the problem. The only difference between a believer and the most sinful person in the world is that they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only difference between you, me, and the worst person that you can imagine. And we are not to be away from them. We are to be with them, sharing Christ. So when the Bible tells you that we're a holy nation, the Bible is telling you and reminding you, you being set apart, consecrated to God, to live in the world, engage with the world. Engage with the world so that you can show Christ to the world. That's what it's saying when it talks about being a holy nation. Are you living a truthful, honest life before the Lord? Sometimes we just want to be Christians on Sunday. Are you every day committing to the Lord? I was, I was sharing with um, RU on Friday night, I believe it was. And um, I think all of us should go to RU. Honestly. Because we all have sin. And we all have some sort of addiction. Maybe your phone. Many things I could mention. But I think you know what I'm talking about. All of us have some sort of addiction. And we looked at chapter uh, 6 of the book of Romans with our you. 
and we look at what I believe is how uh, God's program to overcome sin. And as we looked at verse number 12, 13, and 14, we saw that we need to constantly remember who we are in Christ. We're victorious people. Sin cannot have dominion over you. We looked at the second principle, and the second principle teaches us that it is our responsibility to overcome sin. Because God has done everything he promised to do. He has given us every single thing that we need to overcome sin. And what that means, to to make it simple, is that if you are living in sin, it is not because God failed, it's because you have given to sin. If you're a child of God. Because you have given to sin. You know, I hear quite often people saying, oh man, this person fell into sin. Have you heard that? Something like that, fell into sin, or something... In Spanish, they say the same thing. Uh, se cayó, in Spanish. For those that know Spanish. Anybody know Spanish? Nobody knows Spanish? Uh, and, oh, you do. Okay, good. Um, so, so we said, he fell into sin. But you need to acknowledge that a believer does not fall into sin. Now, what I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you will not sin. Uh, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is a believer does not just walk around in a daily life and, whoop, fell. Oh... Who, who made this hole here? It was, and you start blaming people. That's what we do. We start blaming people. I sit in counseling with people and they're like, hey, 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 pastor, it was my friend. It was my girlfriend. It was my boyfriend. It was my dad. It was my mom. It was my uncle, my cousin, my, my teacher. You blame people. Some of you are a little more spiritual and you say, Satan got me. <laughs> Satan, man, he's, He's so tricky, sneaky. I don't know what other word to use. Um, he got me. No. Because if you read Romans 6, God has given you victory over sin. So if you are not living in holiness, stop blaming other people and acknowledge your sin and repent. Because it is your responsibility. So if sin has dominion over you in any aspect of your life, is because you have given the reins to sin. But not because God has failed. Not because God has not equipped you. Sometimes we need to stop. Honestly, I believe this. Sometimes I, need, I think we need to stop saying, God, please help me to overcome this sin. He has done everything already. He's given you his word. You have it in your language. Even you have it in your phone. You, you, you have the Holy Spirit. You have a church family. You have salvation and victory. Because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. What else do you want? Be responsible. We're a holy nation. And we need to live like a holy people. We need to truthfully and honestly commit to God. Put put aside sin. We're going to talk about it in, in the message too. Put aside sin. Commit to Him. Be faithful. Consecrated to Him. And live in the world. In the world Showing Christ. That's how you will distinguish a holy nation. How they are engaged in the world showing Christ. Next one. Fourth one and last one. That you should show, uh, sorry, a holy nation, a peculiar people. The word peculiar, uh, it means a people of his own. Um, what it means is people that has, have been purchased, bought by him. What it's trying to say is you belong to him. Your life is not yours, it's his. 
Do you believe that? Do you truthfully believe that your life is not yours, but it's His, if you're a child of God? If you believe that, then the next question is, are you living in a way that shows that you belong to Him? The Lord gave His life on the cross for you to have a purpose, for you to have the privilege to intercede for others, for you to be able to live a life that is holy over sin, victory over sin. And you are valuable to Him because He has purchased you. A lot of times in churches, people sometimes think that they are not valuable, that they can't do something for His glory. If you're a child of God, it doesn't matter what your age is. You are valuable to Him. And He has a purpose for you. And He wants to use you. As we look at this verse and we think of peculiar people, lots of times, lots of times, we forget that our lives are not our own. And we forget that we're supposed to live a life committed to Him. I hear sometimes preachers say, work for the kingdom. Don't work for the kingdom. I also think that that's theologically wrong. Don't work for the kingdom because the kingdom, the number is set and established of who's going to be in the kingdom. Work for the king. You don't need to bring, bring glory to the kingdom. Because the glory of the kingdom is established by the king. But you are called to bring glory to the king. People ask me sometimes, being a missionary, do you enjoy being in Lima? No. I do not. It's not a nice city to live in. 13 million people. Those of you that have been there from the MMO trip, you know what I'm talking about. Traffic, people everywhere. I like open space. I don't like people. I honestly don't. I love them because God loves them, but I don't like them. But you know, I get out there, and I try to encourage our church there to get out there. Because I love my king. It is not about the kingdom. It's about the king. I have five minutes. Let me finish with this. Revelations chapter 5. Don't go there. Let me just tell you what happens in that passage. It's a beautiful passage of the scripture. It's a picture of the future. And John, John the disciple, uh, it's there. And then you see, and, and put this in your mind. You have this image. The king is sitting on the throne. God, the father. And he has in his hand the book. And he has this book, and this book is sealed with seven seals, the Bible says. It's perfectly sealed. This book is very, very important to us. Because in this book is written what's going to happen in the future. In this book, your name is written. In this book, the certainty and the guarantee of your salvation is written. That book needs to be open for the things to be fulfilled that are written in that book. And God is sitting there, and the Bible says even that in his right hand, he's holding the book. 
in an angel goes and says, Who is worthy? Who is worthy to take the book and open it? And nobody's worthy. The Bible says that they don't even, they're not even worthy to look at the book. They can't even look at it. Everybody's like, oh no. no. And John starts crying. And the word that is used there is not just crying, he's weeping. Because the future, our salvation is in that book. Somebody needs to open that book. And the Bible says that one of the elders approaches him and says, weep no more. Weep no more. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain, he is worthy. And Christ goes up. He goes up to the throne where the king, where God is sitting, God the Father is sitting. And you know what the Bible says? That he takes the book from his hand. You're talking about a passage that shows the deity of Christ right there. He takes the book from God the Father's hand. There's only one person that can do that, God himself. He takes the book and he opens it. And he sits on the throne within the Father. You know what happens later? The Bible will say, Revelation chapter 5, people from every tribe, nation, from every tongue are going to bow down with the angels. And we're going to sing a new hymn that has not been written yet in our hymn books. And this hymn is, uh, it, it says, you are worthy. You are worthy. That scene is established. That's going to happen. It's in God's word. What God invites us to do is not to add people to that scene. He gives us the opportunity to bring glory to him by serving him in this world because he is worthy. Is he worthy? Does your life show that you have a Savior that is worthy? Is he worthy of your life? Is he worthy of your family? Is he worthy of your time? Is he worthy of your finances? Is he worthy of everything that you own? If he is worthy, we need to truthfully engage with the mission of God, which is to bring glory to him. Remember who you are so that you can bring glory to God. Let us pray and let's finish. God, thank you so much for this time that you allow us to study your word. And thank you for reminding us of who we are in Christ. Thank you for giving us the blessed opportunity to bring glory to you. Help us to be faithful. Bless this church. Help them to get engaged with the mission of God and to be focused on your glory. Lord, thank you for making us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and all that so that we can announce 
the gospel, the world. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.